Good morning. Uh, great to be with you again. Um, a true pleasure, and um, I'm I'm very honored and humbled uh, that uh, the search committee has such confidence, not in me, I would say, but in, in Christ, in me, and the leadership of the Spirit. And so we'll we'll see what the Lord has for us. But it may be helpful for some of you to know a little bit more about me. I don't. I'm definitely not going to spend this whole time, but I want to share a little bit about me so you know um, who I am. I grew up, my name's Chad Henley, I grew up in Lakeland, Georgia, which is about 20 minutes northeast of Valdosta, Georgia, small town, even smaller than Eastman, and um, that's where I grew up. I have a twin sister and an older brother, and my wife's a twin too, as you know, so but the Lord hasn't given us twins for whatever reason. Um, but, um, and so I, I believe the Lord saved me when I was around the age of 15. Uh, at First Baptist Church in Lakeland. Uh, and um, it's been a, a sweet but sometimes painfully slow journey, walk in the faith. Um, but the Lord's been so kind and gracious to me. And... Um, as I, as I grew and in college, I attended Valdosta State, and then uh, I transferred to uh, Georgia Tech <laughs> um, after that, and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and uh, despite, you know, the football team, it was a great place for me, and, um, and the, the Lord, and, and I would just say that my season at Georgia Tech in particular was, was a time where the Lord really, really worked in my heart and really, really, um, really sanctified me and, and helped me understand more of who he was. And, and I would say it was during that time as well that I began to feel a, a, the call to ministry. Um, the way I always describe it was that it, it kind of began as a thought, a thought in the back of my head, which slowly over those year, couple years grew into a desire which grew into kind of this, this, you know, this thing in my life that I, I really just could not see myself doing anything else. Um, but I was way too far in my degree to turn around. So, uh, so I, I finished, I graduated um, with a degree in mechanical engineering, um, but the Lord opened a door for me to serve, uh, uh, miraculously really, as a youth pastor at a church in Tifton, Georgia, where I, I served there for uh, a few years, and then uh, during that time, and that's a whole other story I'll have to tell some other time, but I met my wife Meg, and, um, and, uh, and we got married during that time. We had our first son, Finn, uh, in Tifton, and then I, um, I knew eventually when the Lord had called me to ministry that my desire was to get some seminary training, and so the Lord opened the door to do that, for, uh, uh, for us to do that in Auburn, Alabama, at Lakeview Baptist Church. They, for 21 years, uh, Dr. Al Jackson uh, led a seminary internship program where it was a three-year program that included, you know, the full MDiv degree as part of the internship. And each semester we were transferred to a different area of the church where we were we were learned about how that ministry worked. And so uh, it was an incredible time. I learned so much, and it was a great experience. And um, we graduated. I graduated from seminary. Back in May of this year, and we've just been seeking the Lord for the right place to, for us. So, 
um, we're, we're humbled and we're grateful and um, we're excited to see what the Lord has for us. So, so thank you all. And, um, uh, and this morning, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know um, uh, Miss Therese was going to s- speak to Lottie Moon, but um, it is Lottie Moon season, and this, this morning I'm going to talk about missions. And so um, as we begin, uh, let me pray for us, and, uh, and, and we'll get started. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to hear from you. And we ask that you would speak. And I pray this morning that you would give us a passion for your global glory. A vision, Lord, of what it will one day be like. When every knee shall bow of every nation, tribe, and tongue. We'll confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. So speak to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 this morning. Acts chapter 1. And, um, you know, you know the, the cat's already kind of been let out of the bag, but, you know, for some, it may, you may wonder why on the first weekend of December you would talk about missions. And, um, of course, the answer for us Southern Baptists are, it's Lottie Moon time. And... Um, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, was named after Charlotte, a.k.a. Lottie, Diggs Moon. And this is the way the IMB website describes Lottie. It says that Lottie was, a 32, was 32 years old. She had turned down a marriage proposal and left her job, home, and family to follow God's lead. Her path wasn't typical for an educated woman from a wealthy southern family. God had gripped her with the Chinese people's need for a savior. And if you know about her life, Lottie Moon um, utterly gave her life for the Chinese people that they may know about the gospel of Christ. And uh, just really quickly, it's important for us to know that um, after, I'm not sure if it was after she died, I believe it was, but... Um, when communism took over China, they kicked all the missionaries out. And this was after, you know, after Lottie Moon's time there. And many, many people wondered whenever the, the Chinese government would let people back in, they wondered what Christianity would be like in China after missionaries like Lottie Moon left. Well, when they came back, um, they found uh, a church that numbers... Now, now in the hundreds of millions, close to the size of two-thirds of the population of the United States, of where the indigenous peoples own their Christian faith and proclaim the Christian faith among their own people. And it spread, not, not because of Western missionaries, but because, of, because a few people went to proclaim the gospel because the Holy Spirit was at work among the Chinese people. And that's why we go. Lottie Moon, when she was alive, she urged the churches of the United States of the Southern Baptist Convention to give, to support, and send Christian missionaries. And and finally, in response to her urgings, they established the Lottie Moon Christmas offering in 1918. So uh, next year will be the 100th anniversary of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And why Christmas? 
this is what Lottie had to say. Why give an offering at Christmas for missions? She said, Is not the festive season when families and friends exchange gifts in memory of the gift laid on the altar of the world for the redemption of the human race the most appropriate time to consecrate a portion from abounding riches and scant poverty to send forth the good tidings of great joy into all the earth? Jesus Christ, as we celebrate in the incarnation and in his birth, left the glories of heaven for the poverty of earth. And he became poor, the Bible says, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Is it not the best time to give for the sake of missions? And I want to talk about three things and hopefully stay within a reasonable time frame this morning. From Acts chapter 1, we talk about three things. So if, you, if you're able and willing, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. From Acts chapter 1... We're going to begin in verse 1. Luke writes this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The word of God. You may be seated. So, there's three things I want to talk about this morning concerning the Christian witness. The Christian witness. And the first thing uh, is the content of our witness. The content of our witness. The disciples of Jesus were commissioned specifically that they were, they were called apostles. Apostle means one who is sent. What did Jesus send his apostles to do? To be witnesses. Well, what is a witness? Well, in a court of law, when an attorney calls a witness to the stand, what does he expect them to do? He, was, he expects them to give a firsthand account of something they have seen and heard. Well, that's exactly what the apostles were. They were to give a first-hand account of exactly what they have seen and heard. In fact, the, the Bible is, is full of, 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 of them clear, clearly explaining that this was not something they made up, this is not something that they imagined, but this is something they saw with their own two eyes. And what kind of things did they see? The first is we see Jesus' work and teaching. Luke writes that, Luke, remember, who wrote Acts, also wrote the Gospel of Luke, and we should think of them as one, 
one work, so to speak, in two volumes. And Luke said that in his first work, which is the Gospel of Luke, he said, I, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Our, Jesus' whole life concerns our salvation. Not just his death and resurrection, as important as they are, but his whole life. His life, his death. Jesus, in, in his life, he, he was without sin. Jesus came, the Bible says, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. That is that he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, a righteousness that we were supposed to live, that we owed to God. He fulfilled it on our behalf. And not only that, but when Jesus came, what did he do? He healed the sick. Lame, lame people walked. Mute people spoke. Demon-possessed people were, were freed. He rose the dead. And what, what, what was the purpose of all that? Well, Jesus is one of his main message. His main message that he preached was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what does that mean? Well, the kingdom, so to speak, is, is the, the new king. The kingdom of God it was hijacked, so to speak, by man and his sin. And now Jesus says, I am bringing in the kingdom of God back and it's breaking into this present world order. Disease, death, decay are a result of sin. So when Jesus comes and he heals the sick and he raises the dead, he's saying the old way of, of living is, go, is coming to pass and a new way is being brought in. The, the kingdom of God is breaking in to the kingdom of this world soon to conquer. And Jesus Christ came, he came, the Bible says, as a second Adam, a new humanity to restore fallen humanity to the pristine condition that God designed it to be. Jesus Christ came to show us what it meant to be truly human. That's what Christmas is all about. He came, he became one of us to show us what it means to be truly human. So Jesus' work and teaching is part of our witness that we proclaim as disciples of Jesus Christ. But not only that, but his death and resurrection. Luke says in verse 3 that Jesus presented himself alive to them, his disciples, after his suffering by many proofs. Now note, uh, many scholars have noted that Luke is actually an incredible historian. And, he, and he, has, he, he carefully searched out and got firsthand accounts as he was writing this, uh, his, his, his work. And he said that Jesus presented himself alive to them after many proofs. You remember it says that Jesus intentionally, he said, do you have some, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples and he said, do you have something to eat? Because he wanted for them to, he wanted to eat the food in their presence because he said, look, the ghosts can't eat. Ghosts don't have flesh and bone as I have. I'm alive in their presence. He proved to them that he had risen from the dead. Now I want you, this is very important to think about. If you were going to start a religion in which you were the leader, in your founding documents, you would not present yourself as an unbelieving coward. <laughs> but if you read the New Testament, the, every New Testament document presents the disciples, Jesus' own disciples, when he appeared to them after his resurrection, they didn't believe. Jesus had to rebuke them for their unbelief. And that's what history records. And yet, in spite of their unbelief, Jesus proved himself to them. And, and, and Thomas himself said, I won't believe unless I touch him. I stick my hand in his side. But then it happened, and then, and then after 
They saw him. What, what did they do? Just about every single one of them went and they died a martyr's death for the sake of their testimony that they had seen a man risen from the dead. And so the resurrection, the death and resurrection, of course, is the crux. That's where, in fact, that's where we get the word crux from. The core, the heart of Christianity is the crucifixion and the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin on the cross and he conquered the penalty for our sin in the resurrection so that when you repent and you surrender your will and your life to him through faith, the Bible says you have the hope of eternal life because the effects of sin in your life are being undone. And not only that, so we, so we proclaim Jesus' work in teaching and we as Christians proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus and finally, part of our Christian witness is we proclaim Christ's return. The angels told the disciples, why are you looking up into heaven? This man, Jesus, will descend in the same way you saw him go up into heaven. The disciples, they were worried about the kingdom. They said, Jesus, are you going to establish the kingdom? And Jesus said, that's not for you to worry about. And they thought, they thought Jesus was going to set up his earthly kingdom and his earthly reign now. And Jesus said, Basically, he's like, you don't understand. You're going to build my kingdom. By your Holy Spirit in you, you're going to build my kingdom throughout all the earth and spread it over all the earth. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and as it grows, it becomes the biggest of the the flowering plants. That is that the kingdom through the church is going to conquer the world through Christ in his people. And then only at the end of the age will Christ come. And receive his kingdom to himself. Fully, finally, completely. Where he will reward all righteousness, punish all evil, and reign forever. So this is the content of a witness. This is what we proclaim when we talk to people about Christ. We're not talking about pie in the sky, you know, spiritual vague reality, spiritual principles. We're talking about a man who has died, who has risen, who is coming back. And that's the essence of Christianity. And that, if that is true, then that is the nature of this world. And that is the reason why everything exists. He, he, cannot, be, he cannot be ignored if it's true. And it is. So that's the content of our witness. But next, let's see the power of our witness. Verse 8, very famous verse. Luke writes, but, uh, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ took 11 backwoods Galileans and said, you're going to change the world. Who's the most backwoods? Never mind, don't, don't answer that question. <laughs> but just, you know, let's just assume it's you. And, and Jesus comes to you and says... You're going to change the world. You're going to make disciples of every nation in the whole world. What would you say? I think many of us would be like Moses. Remember when God called Moses to his service? What did Moses do? Who am I? I can't talk. I can't speak. Oh, Lord, won't you please pick somebody else? What did God say? Exodus chapter 3. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, 
but I will be with you. But I will be with you. What is the power of the Christian witness? What, what, what gave Jesus so much confidence that he could take 12, 11 backward Galilean men and say, you're going to change the world? It's the presence of God. Because Jesus in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, what does he say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the presence of God that is the power in his people. God is not looking... So many, so many times we look to God and say, I'm not, I don't know all the answers. They're going to ask me something I don't know. I don't have, I don't have, I'm not qualified. God isn't looking for qualified people. In fact, God is precisely looking for unqualified people because your weakness puts God's power on display. When you do what you couldn't do in and of yourself, and it's obvious to the world, people will say, something's in that man. Something's in that woman. They have some kind of power from somewhere else, the power of God living inside of them. So we'll say to God, we'll say, God, I can't do it. I can't share my faith with that person. I can't give that much. I can't go there. And God thunders down from heaven and says, but I will be with you. I will be with you. The presence of God. The early church faced great opposition. So what did they do? They prayed. Acts chapter 4, 29 and following, they said, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This Holy Spirit that dwells in us, energized and power and, and called upon through prayer, is what gives us our power for witness, our power for giving, our power for going. It's, it's the Spirit in us. In John 16, 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus with you. The Holy Spirit in you is better than Jesus with you. That's how serious this is. That Jesus Christ understood that he himself, there are things that he would accomplish through his people that's going to be more effective than if he just stayed. That, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that descended on Jesus in his baptism. The same spirit that came down in tongues of fire at Pentecost. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The Bible says is the same spirit that lives in you. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you have access to all the power of Almighty God. If Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord and King, what can man do to you? 
It's the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We must cling and lean wholly on the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have the content of our witness, which is Christ, and the power of our witness, which is the Holy Spirit. And finally, we have the scope of our witness. The scope of our witness. Again, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives us a paradigm about different arenas which the gospel must conquer. First is Jerusalem and Judea. So this is a a paradigm, so to speak, for local missions. But I want you to think about it in terms of what the disciples would hear. They're thinking, okay, I get Jerusalem and Judea because these are my people. These are the Jews. These are the people like me. Of course the gospel is going to the Jews. Jesus himself said that I've not come. I've come for the lost sheep of Israel and not for the Gentiles. That was the, 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 the Jews must receive the gospel first. And so they did. And so the disciples preached in Jerusalem and in Judea. And as we know, most of the Jews rejected the gospel. They rejected their own Messiah. But nevertheless, Jesus gives us a paradigm here for local missions. We all know that, frankly, it's just easier to share with people who are like you. You know how they think. You know how they react to different things. You can relate to them more. You, you speak their language. You, have, you may have a similar worldview. And so... One of our responsibilities as Christians is to go, to go, to go, but it's also to preach here. There's a lot of lost people in Dodge County. Do you know that? And there's a danger, and, and, and frankly, it's, it's, it's difficult to share the gospel in the rural south because many people, most people, have had just enough church and just enough Bible stories to be inoculated to the gospel. They're immune to it. They think they know it when they don't. They think they believe it when they don't. They say, I know the good Lord, but they have no spiritual power in their life. They haven't been born again. And so it is our, and that's what Jesus experienced in his own life. Uh, he, he experienced a bunch of, the people that gave Jesus the most oppositions were the religious people. But we must continue to proclaim the gospel. And I just want to say that, especially in, our, in the local community where we are actually have the opportunity to live with our physical presence, one of the greatest testimonies, one of the greatest things that we can do that will adorn the gospel proclamation is bold and sacrificial love for neighbor. It's bold and sacrificial love for neighbor. When... when we need, to, we need to be thinking about, as a church, and in all churches need to be thinking about, how can we love our neighbors and our communities in, in an uncommon way, in an unusual way, in a way that people will say, I don't know why they would do that if it wasn't for genuine love of the work of Christ in them. The, the, in 400 AD, Emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. 
And some people have wrongly said that that's when Christianity got its kind of came to power. But honestly, it was a political move on Constantine because Christianity had already conquered the Roman Empire. There were already so many Christians in Rome that it was a politically savvy move to make uh, Christianity the, the major religion. How did Christianity conquer the Roman Empire? By love. There is a there is a Roman emperor that said there's a Roman emperor who despised Christians who said, but we can't do nothing about them because they bury even our own dead and they give to even our own poor. And they they couldn't understand it. And Christianity had conquered the Roman Empire. And so we have to ask ourselves, how can we love our community in a way that is undeniably through the power of Christ, through sacrifice? So Jesus gives us a paradigm for local missions. Jesus also gives us a paradigm for regional missions. He says, go to Judea and Samaria. Samaria was adjacent to Judea, and of course it was full of Samaritans. Now as you know, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. There was long-standing enmity between the two. Samaritans were mixed-breed Jews. They were unclean. Impure. They had false religion. They worshipped on Mount Gerizim while the Jews knew it was right to worship in Jerusalem. But Jesus Christ told the Samaritan woman, a day is coming when we will neither worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But those who worship, but God is see, God, the Father is seeking worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus Christ came to change things. So I want you to see that in Jesus Christ telling them to go to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, he's not just talking about geographical barriers. He's talking about racial, cultural, and social barriers that are being crossed. The, Jews would under, the disciples would understand, oh yes, the gospel must go to the Jews. But wait, Jesus, you're telling me you're, telling me you're going to save Samaritans? You're going to save Samaritans? Jesus says, yes, I'm going to save Samaritans. And you're going to tell them. And crossing those types of barriers are, is costly work. They had, to, they had to rid themselves of their, of their perceptions and conceptions of what the, who the Samaritans were. Let me tell you something. Race issues are really bad right now in America. Everyone, because of sin, is ethnocentric. It's true. We all like and feel comfortable around people who are like us. That's how it works. That's how sin works. So what is this? So what is Jesus calling us to do? He's calling us to do the costly work of going to people different than us and to love them and to share the gospel with them. And that's what we're called to do. And we, we can't ignore that. You know, this church is embedded in a community that's largely different. What are we going to do? So that Jesus Christ is exalted, not just in this building, but in this whole community right here. It's hard, isn't it? But let me tell you something. The Spirit of God is a small thing for him. It's a small thing. The Bible says that there will be a day when every tribe, nation, and tongue bows before King Jesus. And gives praise to the one true God. We're all descended from one man, Adam. <laughs> There's one race, the human race. 
that's fallen and broken and desperately in need of Christ. And we must do the costly work of crossing social, racial, financial, political barriers. Why? Because Jesus Christ broke them for us. Jesus Christ shattered the greatest barrier that he didn't put up. We put up to him our sin, and he shattered it on the cross to come down to us. So we go. So Jesus Christ teaches us about local missions, about regional missions, and he also teaches us about foreign missions. Jesus said you will go to the end of the earth. I want you to think about something. The disciples had probably never left Israel in their entire life. Israel's about the size of New Jersey. All right? Good old country folk. Never been on a plane. All right? And Jesus said, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. They said, what, me? What about, my, what about my nice little Jewish kosher life? Jesus said, no, you're going to go to the ends of the earth. For my sake and for the gospel. And if you thought Samaritans were bad, who's at the ends of the earth? Gentiles, pagans, idolaters, immoral people. And if you read the book of Acts carefully, you'll see that God had to deal real patiently with the Jews because it took it, they almost couldn't bear the fact that Jews could be, that, that Gentiles could be saved. You read the book of Acts, they had to have a whole council about it. Paul had, to, Paul had to write multiple letters about it just to show people from the Old Testament that God was going to save everybody, regardless of your race or tribe or color or language or culture. They couldn't, they couldn't believe it. There were Jews going around saying, well, if you really got to be saved, you got to become a Jew first. You got to become like me culturally, and then God will save you. Jesus says no. I'm the savior of the world. And before we even think about missions, for us to do missions, we have to remember that we are those who are far off. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus told his disciples to go to the ends of the earth, who was he talking about? Us. We're the far off people. We're the pagan, idolater, immoral people who the Jews could never fathom would be saved. And yet, Jesus said, go to them. And they came for us, to us. And will we look down at the Christians down through the ages and say, thank you for coming to us, but we will not go to them. Will we say that? We are the far off. And they came for us. So we must go to them. There is an end to which everything is pointing. In Revelation chapter 7 where it says, John saw a vision and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation! Belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Don't you want to be part of that throng? 
Don't you want to be part of that? Don't you want to be part of what God is working? To be part of his plan that he is working to save a people from all nations. So what do we have? We have the content of our witness, which is Christ. We have the power of our witness with the Holy Spirit. We have the scope of our witness. The ends of the earth. Let me just conclude with a story. There was a young lady named Sarah Harmoning. Sarah Harmoning. She was 17 years old. She was from Madison County, Alabama, and she attended Mount Zion Baptist of Huntsville, Alabama. And she was on a bus. She was traveling on a bus this year, June of this year, to Atlanta to go with her church on a trip to Botswana in Africa. And Sarah was sitting on this bus, and she wrote in her journal. And this is what 17-year-old Sarah wrote in her journal. I was just sitting here on the bus feeling a little sad, I guess because I'm going to be gone so long, and I was a little uncomfortable. But then I decided to read my Bible. I prayed and opened up to 1 Peter 5 and 2 Peter 1. Pretty much everything I read applies to me now. It talked about watching over the flock entrusted to you, which would be my little buddies in Botswana. Talked about humbling yourself, which I will need to do also, and that also means being a little uncomfortable. And it talked about the devil prowling about like a lion seeking, lion seeking whom he may devour, which he will especially be doing on this mission trip, and how we need to be alert and of a sober mind. And lastly, how we get to participate in God's divine nature. I mean, how awesome is that? So mostly, I was reminded of why I'm here and why God has called me here. So I know he's going to do incredible things. A little bit later after that, Sarah texted a friend. This is what her text said. It said, this is such a great reminder. We are like a wisp of smoke. We are only here for a moment, and this is not about us. Life is not about us. It's about God who is eternal. So I want to dedicate the one moment I am here completely and entirely to him. A little bit later, at 3.30 p.m., on June of this year, in South Fulton County, the bus that she was on was in a car wreck. The bus flipped, and Sarah Harmoning was killed. And humanly speaking, you would look at that life and you would say, what a waste. She had, she had so much life ahead of her. Why would she even want to go to Botswana? Look at what she has here. Let me tell you something. Sarah Harmoning right now knows that her life was not a waste. Because she is looking into the eyes of her reward. And I have no doubt that other people through her testimony will be called of God to go to people who have no access to the gospel. That's why we pray for God's global glory. That's why we speak to our neighbors of the gospel of Christ. That's why we give sacrificially for missions to Lottie Moon Christmas offerings, a great way to do that. And that's why we go. That's why we go. <laughs> would that God would call some of us in this room to go. Would you be willing? Would you be ready to go for Christ? In, a moment, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response. 
And if God has spoken to you in any way, please come. If you want to put your faith in this Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, there's no better day than today. You can come down this morning and come talk to me.